y'all. Welcome to Order of Operations. I'm your host, Libby, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Nikki. This is episode 34, The Broken Rung. This episode, we'll be diving into what exactly is the broken rung. So this is a term I learned recently, and it's referring to a broken rung on the corporate ladder for women. So we'll review how the broken rung is present in the talent pipeline, where it comes from, how COVID has made it so much worse, and then some steps to take to ensure your organization is actively working to fix the ladder. Before we get started, let's do wins this week. Nikki, do you have a win for us? I do have a win. I have shared it multiple times within my team, so this will not be new for some of the listeners. We have been having an issue with payroll being too high, and we couldn't figure out just where it was coming from. So I gave two members of the team a project to just dive in and diagnose what was happening, and Usually when I give a project, I give like every single little step and like this is everything that needs to be done. This is the timeline to get it done by. But this, it was very open-ended and they totally flourished and figured out what was happening, what we needed to do to cut back on payroll and what we could do to just solve it for the future too. So do a right now solution and a future solution. So what about you, Libby? On a personal level, one of my favorite guys, well, my absolute favorite guy from college, it was his birthday this week, so I got to talk to him, and that makes me happy because I like getting to talk to them. Okay, let's get into the content of this week's episode. So, Nikki, you did a lot of the work on researching this topic and getting it ready for today, so I will interview you. So first and foremost, what is the broken rung? The broken rung is the breakdown in the talent pipeline for women. So for example, for every 100 men promoted to management, only 85 women are promoted. And so there's just simply too few women to actually advance and make this an even 50-50. So if we look at the talent pipeline, at the entry level, 47% of the workforce are women. At the manager level, 38% are women. At the senior manager or director level, 33% are. At the VP, it's 29%. At the senior vice president, it's 28%. And then at the C-suite, it's only 21%. So these numbers are pretty scary. And these numbers have not changed too much in the past five years. So the best improvement was for the SVP count, and that was at 24% in 2015. I feel like the most pressing issue with this is that broken rung. It's that there isn't the same percentage of representation of women as you ascend the ladder. Like the higher up in the ladder you are, the smaller the representation of women there is, which is unfortunate because it's the people at the top that control the opportunities for the people below them. So the less and less women there are at the top, the less opportunities there's going to be, like it's a trickle-down effect. Yes. So that was just the numbers for the workforce in general. So if we look at the talent pipeline for a couple industries, there were two of note that I wanted to bring to everyone's attention. So the engineering and industrial manufacturing pipeline 
there are only 33% of the entry-level workforce are women. And then this results in one of the lowest proportions of women in the C-suite, only 10%. And then the biggest disparity is in the healthcare system and services. So 75% of the entry-level goes down to 29% of C-suite are women. Yeah, so you're right. There are varying talent pipelines by industry. I feel like we have a weird blend where we're at, where it's both education and business, where in education, it is very female dominant. I remember thinking it was the most wackadoodle thing that my friend had a boy teacher. I didn't have my first male teacher until the seventh grade. And it was like a science teacher. And he's like a retired scientist. And I was like, oh, he's doing this because it's like his retirement job, not because of anything else. And then whenever I got up to higher education and I was at UCLA, it was like probably one of the first times I saw like a large number of men teaching. Whereas I think in business, business is a male dominated field, which is interesting because it's actually women who make the majority of buying decisions in the United States. The people leading business and retail don't fit the demographics of the people who are shopping in the stores. We are going to get into why a little later. Let's get into it now. Where does it come from? (laughs) Where does it come from? There are actually a lot of factors that go into this broken rung and this breakdown of the talent pipeline. One aspect is that just women have had less time in the workforce. So in 1958, women made up less than a third of the workforce. And then if we jump to December 2019, when most of us in the U.S. hadn't heard of coronavirus, women had actually surpassed men at 50.04% of the labor force. So I feel like if we were to like put this more blatantly, it's because the women are homemakers traditionally and not breadwinners in their family, correct? Or they're not like a dual income family. And I think that's interesting because I think Honestly, one of the main reasons, I mean, other than the fact that women are the ones who like birth the babies and like nurture the babies, like through their infancy. Other than that, I think it's just because women have the soft skills to be able to handle a lot of home life responsibilities better than men. But it's funny because those soft skills are also what make them incredible in business. So I don't feel like it's women are the homemakers because they aren't great breadwinners or they aren't great like titans of industry I feel like it's almost because men aren't as good as homemakers (laughs) (laughs) but they can suffice in the business world I always feel like it's backwards like it's backwards justification for why women are home and men are at work yeah and it's a really difficult thing to break out of because like women still earn less than men overall. So like if there's any sort of shakeup to the economy, then the person who's earning less is usually the first one who steps back and focuses on the home. So it's a really difficult cycle to break. Women having less time in the workforce is certainly a cause. Another cause you have listed is a lack of confidence. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit with the imposter syndrome episode, but to even add more statistics and more backing to all the issues we went through in that episode, 57% of men negotiate their first salary, whereas only 7% of women do. And that also goes into play for negotiating promotions and like putting themselves up for promotions too. And then 
men attribute their success to themselves, but women tend to attribute it to an external factor. So like if they got help or they attribute it to luck, but never like their own skill or their own talent. Mm, Never. Sorry. I can't say that when we're speaking in statistics. They rarely do. But then there's this whole other aspect where the career advice and the career development for women tends to leave off some significant skills. You can break leadership into like three big buckets. So the first bucket is achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes. The second is just being highly skilled yourself. And then the third is engaging greatness in others. So like, can you get a lot and help your team be the best that they can be? And so these three buckets are not equal at all. So the achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes is rated twice as heavily as the other two buckets. So you can think of this as like business strategy and financial acumen. And that's where the huge problem comes in. So men just assume that the acumen is a given and they just assume it's an obvious thing that people can just do. But there's very, very little development for women on the business and strategy and the finances. Libby, what are some like big career advice anecdotes you've been given to help you move up and achieve what you want to achieve? Oh, Jesus. Like what a hard question. I know. Sorry. Surprise. (laughs) Overarching principle that Steve raised me on is that it's lonely at the top. Because he didn't want me to like sell myself short or not do things because my friends weren't doing them. He always said like in anything we do, he's like, there's only one captain. There's only one CEO. There's only one president. It's lonely at the top. So if you're busy going with the flow or sticking by your friends or any of that stuff, like you're not going to progress to the level you are personally, individually capable of. Gosh, what was the original question? Business advice? Yeah, just like career advice. If you'd want to, if you want to advance, what do you need to do? I feel like I got a lot of really old school advice from my dad growing up and it's no longer like what the 21st century norm is of like you always need to be the one putting in like the longest hours and people need to see you busting your ass harder than the guy in the cubicle next to you and you need to own your accomplishments and make sure you're getting credit where credit's due and you also need to ask it's like asking for more or asking for feedback which I think is one of the things that we say at some point in this podcast that women do less of is asking for things and just sort of assuming that projects or promotional opportunities will be awarded to those most deserving and not the squeaky wheel in an organization Nice. So it sounds like you had a lot of the like soft skills and the ambition. Now, if we were talking about this in a business setting, men would have been given the technical skills and the strategy and like how to analyze the finances and like make big decisions from them. Okay. We're tying in my win. So the guy I talked to, his name's Tyler. I went to college with him. I've known him since I was a freshman. We've been like great friends for seven years. One of the many reasons I like talking to Ty is he and I are both professional people and we can relate on a lot of like professional levels and we enjoy talking about work. But I have this great respect for Tyler 
because he did so much investment in himself and went through so much formal training to get these business skills. And it's because whenever we were in college, I watched him go through like two internships. And in his first internship, upon his departure, he's like, what would it take for me to be a threat to you if I was your competitor? What skills do I need to be training myself on to get better? And it was all the stuff like that, like, here's how you analyze data, here's how you pull census data and demographics, and here's how you really analyze them, and here are the metrics that really matter, and here's how to do a great presentation where it's a no-brainer, and here's how to go to the bank and ask for a loan or funding, and here's how you do venture capital. Like, it was all of this stuff, and then he just spent, like, the next two years in college learning about it. And so anytime I talk to him, he knocks my socks off with this first-hand direct knowledge of industry because I as an individual I get the gist of a lot of various concepts whereas Ty he will have like read a lot of literature on it and he really knows his shit and it's because he he's really invested a lot of time in having this understanding where he knows proper terminology he knows exactly what to do he can walk you through anything step by step he's basically like an encyclopedia for the industry he's in And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that guys focus on when launching their career. Whereas I worry about being like a good team player and being likable. If Tyler was a woman going through these internships, the advice he would have been given would have been a lot more of like, oh, we'll focus on your like confidence and soft skills. And that's not what people are actually looking for when they're looking to promote leaders. No, it was insane how much stuff that I would have thought like higher level people need to be worrying about, like going to the bank because he's in he's in real estate investing. And so like going to the bank and getting like multi-million dollar loans for like an investment that they know they're going to flip in like three to five years and then building out the spreadsheets and knowing which spreadsheets he needs to have like pre-prepared where if the bank's like, okay, we'll fill this out and then come back to us. He's like, no, I'm not coming back. It's already ready. Here you go give me my money. I know if I were the one in that position, it would be like more soft skills where even if I have the soft skills, I'd just be like, yeah, you know, just really continue to focus on this and you're on your way, kid. Yeah, exactly. I feel like a lot of the advice I was given was just like be the most helpful person in the room. But like that doesn't help me display my technical knowledge and my strategy and my ability to do like strategic problem solving and strategic thinking. So it's also a breakdown in mentoring that's causing this broken rung. And it even goes into like women being taught to lead gently, just how not to be seen as like a huge bitch. I am on my third book today. I've been doing a lot of reading. Like I said, I just talked to Tyler and every time I talk to Tyler, I feel inadequate. The one I'm reading right now, and it's not even really a book. It's honestly like a glorified Instagram flip book is How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings by Sarah Cooper. Sarah's advice from chapter six on leadership is like various ways to say things to men without coming off as being threatening versus non-threatening is how she phrases it. So for setting a deadline, the threatening way to say it is this is due by Monday. 
The non-threatening way is, what do you think about getting this done by Monday? So when setting a deadline, ask your coworker what he thinks of doing something instead of asking him to get it done. This makes him feel less like you're telling him what to do and more like you care about his opinions. On sharing ideas, the threatening way to do it is say, I have an idea. Whereas the non-threatening way to say it is, I'm just thinking out loud here. So when sharing your ideas, overconfidence is a killer. You don't want your male coworkers to think you're just getting all uppity. Instead, downplay your ideas by saying, I'm just thinking out loud, just throwing something out there. Or, oh, I don't know, maybe this is dumb, random, crazy, but like here's something that just popped off the top of my head. Emailing requests. Uh, threatening ways to say, send me the presentation when it's ready. Non-threatening is to use a lot of emojis and exclamation marks. Hey, Jake, smiley face. Can I take a peek at your presentation when it's ready? Thanks, smiley face. Threatening for whenever your idea is stolen in a meeting is saying that's exactly what I just said. Whereas non-threatening is thank you for articulating that so clearly. So it's all like a series of like really funny ways you could say it but like it may or may not be perceived as being threatening or bitchy or whatever terminology you feel comfortable with. But if a guy were to say it, that probably would not be the same reaction. No. And this is terrible, but this also just comes from how children are raised. Bossy is something that is used regularly for little girls but is rarely used for boys when they are showing leadership and they are stepping up and they are asking for what they want or telling people how it should be. Libby I know I was called bossy plenty. I don't know if you experienced the same thing. You and I were talking about this earlier and the word that was used to describe me as a kid was abrasive. (laughs) My leadership was abrasive to people because I would just assert myself. So how has COVID made this worse? So get ready for a lot of statistics, guys. There's a a lot of data here. A huge thing is that the frontline and hospitality work, which is primarily filled by women, was hit really hard by job loss. So nearly 11 million jobs held by women disappeared between February and May. And then on top of that, 2 million women are looking at taking a step back or leaving the workforce completely. So pre-COVID, women and men left their jobs at about the same rate. But with all of this, the wage gap will likely be more than two percentage points wider after the pandemic recession, instead of shrinking like it would be during a normal downturn. I'm in a lot of moms groups, and so I see women trying to like host dialogue on this a lot in the moms groups. And their debate a lot of the times is either they've like seen a cut in their hours or their employers have asked them to take a temporary pay cut, but you don't know how temporary your hourly rate going down is going to be for, or they're in a service industry where it's heavily based on commission or tips or whatever. So even if they are employed and their base is staying the same, their overall income has significantly lessened. And with there being remote school in a lot of places, there is an increased need for childcare. And whenever a second income has been reduced so significantly, it comes to a point where it makes more sense for whichever parent is making less to step back, provide the childcare so that way you're not basically like having a job just for that second income go directly to 
nanny, daycare, babysitter, what have you. So I'm seeing this conversation and I understand why a lot of women are being forced to step back and leave, whether temporarily or possibly permanently. Yes. And childcare is a huge contributing factor too. So we are on the brink of a just full on childcare crisis. Childcare facilities have been closing by the thousands. So since January, one in four childcare providers have lost their jobs, and as many as half of all of the childcare slots could be lost with all of the centers closing. So the national average was over $10,000 for infants and then over $8,000 for four-year-olds. And this was when there were a lot more slots available. And so now the need has increased and the supply has gone down. And so this cost is just going to skyrocket. So another big factor that is forcing women to reconsider their job and their place in the workforce is burnout. I feel like we've been talking about burnout all year. And burnout is a bigger issue than ever before because of COVID, because of working from home, because of all the virtual schooling and just the whole turmoil that was 2020. So stress in general is up and even more so with women. So mothers are more likely than fathers to worry that their performance is being judged negatively due to their caregiving responsibilities. And then on top of worrying about all of this, they have the double shift, which is worse more now than ever. So mothers are three times as likely as fathers to be responsible for most of the housework. And on top of that, they're 1.5 times more likely to be spending an extra three or more hours on housework. And this amounts to over 20 hours a week. And that's basically a part-time job. So they've got a full-time job that has increased stressors because the whole world is on its head and they are trying to run a household and they're also worrying about it more than their partners. 76% of mothers with children under 10 say that childcare is one of their top three challenges during COVID. When men were asked the same question, only 54% cited the same challenge. I feel like I need to give the disclaimer that this, all of these statistics are from heterosexual couples that are dual income. Let's fix the ladder. Yes, we need to repair the ladder. What can we do about it though? I think it's really important to be mindful of the conversations you're having about potential candidates, either internal or, or external. If you find yourself constantly talking about someone's family and like, can they balance the commitment and can they make this work with all the other demands at home? Are you only talking about women that way? Because if so, then you have a bias problem. And just in case anyone doesn't understand implicit bias, having a bias doesn't mean that you are intentionally acting a certain way or that you're aware that you're acting a certain way. There's a whole lot of biases in this world. And this can also show up in a lack of understanding about a gap in a resume too. So if you are interviewing a pool of candidates and you have one person who has a gap in their resume and it's thoroughly explained because they were a stay-at-home parent at the time, that is an acceptable reason to have a gap in a resume. And so you can't just blatantly judge like, oh, well, they weren't working for a while. I have two more ways to fix the broken ladder. 
The next one is to focus on developing the skills to show that business finesse and ensure that your talent pipeline and your LMS has content for like confidence, leading people and technical skills, strategy and acumen, and not just those skills that you feel like women need to work on. And don't assume that anybody has any of those because that's what's really setting leaders apart. And if you are looking at your succession planning and you're only seeing men, then there's probably a problem with your training and development. And then this is a subtle one, but it's really important too. Pay attention to who you're asking to do office housework. So these are just dead-end tasks that are not required specific to any person's job description. So for example, like picking up the break room, ordering coffee, taking notes in meetings, this most often falls to women. And in fact, when men do the same office housework, they are more likely to be recommended for promotions, important projects, raises, and bonuses (laughs) because they're viewed as more of like a go-getter and the team player. And there's no equivalent payoff for women. As far as fixing the ladder, I know a statistic that you had shared earlier was just about the disparities between people at an entry level position compared to the C-suite. And obviously there's a huge differential in those percentages, but also there were some industries that you had listed, which they are male dominated in nature, even from an entry level position. As far as fixing the ladder, I feel like a lot of young girls don't pursue certain positions because they don't see people like themselves in those roles and they don't think of it as a possibility. So something that's been talked about a lot in the modern day is just representation and why representation matters and why AOC being in Congress is like really important for little girls of color or of Hispanic heritage and why having our first female vice president is a really big deal. Representation is a really big thing. My most like simple example of this is that there's a lot of guys I've dated throughout the years who they enter these different fields and I never know how they even know that these jobs exist. And they're like, oh yeah, like it's a total boys club in the office. And I'm like, I had no idea this was even a position that existed in the world. I did not know this was a job. I did not know this was an industry. Like going back to Tyler yet again, I had no idea that what Tyler does existed. The only reason he came to know it existed is because like his fraternity brother's dad did it. And whenever he like shook hands with him at a football game, He explained it to him and Tyler's like, I'm going to do that one day. It matters what the representation is because it's a lot easier going and seeking mentorship or trying to follow along a path when you see someone who's like you already doing it. It's a lot easier. Like it feels more comfortable like reaching out to people whenever they seem similar in nature to you, as well as it's easier to mentor someone when you see them as like a younger version of yourself. If I were to give advantage to anyone on our team, it's our female instructors who I'm like, yeah, that's a young Libby Lawsing. Like she acts exactly how I acted in high school. She has all of these 51% raw skills. And those are the ones that I really heavily invest in. And it's not me trying to be sexist against the boys or discriminate against anyone in particular. It's just, I feel very comfortable mentoring and investing in people who I see a little bit of myself in. So it goes both ways from like a mentor-mentee perspective. 
And then as far as working your way up the ladder, I feel like everyone in leadership positions feels very comfortable surrounding themselves with people that they're comfortable with at a higher level. And so, yeah, you're going to give the upper hand to people who you think embody your own characteristics because who better than like a mini you to move on up. That is really important. There was a big lean in movement a couple years ago, but I feel like it needs to be lean in and reach down. You just reminded me of one story. It's a car commercial, but it really like stuck with me. It's about how representation also breeds innovation. A woman was sitting around the table with a bunch of men at General Motors, I think. And they were talking about like what the next big improvement to cars should be. And someone talked about keyless entry and then quickly dismissed it. And she's like, no, 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 hold on. We need to come back to that. Like keyless entry, like we definitely need that. And everyone else around the table is like, what are you talking about? Like, I just have my keys in my pocket and like, they're right there. And I'm just going to open my car. Like, I don't need keyless entry. It's so easy. And she's like, wait, no, hold on. So majority of women's clothes don't have actual usable pockets. So your keys are in the bottom of your purse. And if you are walking through a parking garage at night and you have to dig to the bottom of your purse to get your keys, you are very uncomfortable. So yes, we need to spend time on keyless entry. What a freaking grand example, Nikki. I love it. Like it's a commercial, but it has like burned into my head. I love that example so much. So that was a couple ideas to fix the ladder. Just be sure that you are keeping an eye out for this in your organization. As leaders, we have an inherent responsibility to ensure that we have good representation and are listening to all of the voices and pulling up chairs to the table for everyone. Libby, do we have any random tips? My random tip, because I feel like this topic overall, it seems daunting in nature because it is so big and it is an issue much bigger than any one individual listener to our podcast. So something that's like small and actionable that you guys can implement immediately and it won't make a dramatic change to your life. Since a lot of our people work in or around learning centers, something I'd encourage you and your team members to do is how you greet the children that come into your center should be the same for both boys and girls. It's something that Nikki and I have been talking about earlier is that when a little girl comes in the center, probably one of the most generic greetings to a small girl is telling her how pretty she looks or that you like her dress or that she has fun shoes and just commenting overall on her appearance. Whereas a generic greeting for a boy is typically something about like athleticism or what did they learn in school today or like comments on their friends and social circles and not about their general appearance. So if I could give any like immediate action item, even though it seems small, it isn't insignificant, is just making sure that you give equal greetings to both the boys and the girls in your learning center and try and keep it academic. Like our preference would be that everyone is greeted with like, how was school today? Or something of that nature and try and avoid appearance entirely because it's like a societal issue that we prioritize the appearance of women more so than like their accolades. So starting them young and making them prioritize their own education and what they're learning and what they're involved in and what their activities are versus just like the little tutu dress that their mommy put them in. 
I would even encourage everyone to do this with their little relatives that they might see over the holidays too. Okay, so that was the emotional roller coaster of episode 34. That was a lot of hard research to get all of that together, and it was hard to go through. But that is all about the broken rung what it is, where it comes from, and fortunately, what we can do about it. I am Nikki, and this is Libby. And we'll leave you with this. PEMDAS, podcast every Monday. Download and subscribe. Bye. Bye.